Right. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see everybody. Good to see you this morning. Hallelujah. I'm excited about this morning. I'm excited. We got some good stuff in store. God's got something in store. Amen. Amen. It's good to see you here. Uh, this morning, we are, we are uh, finishing up our New Year's Revolution series. Finishing up. We've been taking a look for uh, five or six weeks now uh, at ways that we can go beyond just making you know, New Year's resolutions, things that you're, you, 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 know, you probably have already given up by now. Go beyond those kind of promises that you make to yourself, adding more and more lists to your list, adding more things, you know, adding like you know, more levels of spirituality or something like that. They're, they're, we're looking, what are, what's a, what that, they're, they're, we're looking, what are, what's, a, what's maybe a better way we can do this? Things, we wanna look at ways that we can actually get set free uh, and, and actually have a revolution, make revolution in our life that'll create last, change in us, right? Not just do a couple of things to start the year off, but actually have lasting change from the inside out, down to our DNA. That's what this has been all about. And what we've been focusing on, if you've been with us, we've been focusing on some of the baggage that we tend to carry around, the extra luggage that we that weighs us down and, and that keeps us in bondage and keeps us from authentic revolutionary change because God wants to do change. He wants to, he wants to do some amazing things in our life. And sometimes there's just no room, right? So we need to empty out a little bit. Today, I want to wrap this series up by talking about one more thing that can totally unleash uh, God's ability to move in your life supernaturally and allow him to use you in some awesome ways. This is a powerful thing. And that thing is developing a generous spirit, developing a generous spirit. And just like everything else we talked about in this series, in order to get there, to have that generous spirit, it's going to first require us to let some things go. We got to let some things go. Now, as you've probably noticed this morning, uh, we haven't received the offering yet. Uh, We haven't forgotten it. There is a reason. And the reason is my prayer is, my prayer is that there are some things that God is going to speak into your heart during this message that have the potential to change your expectations when you give, uh, about your giving, when the offering comes at the end of the, at the end of the service. Uh, I I gotta tell you, I've, I know you're going to think this is really OCD, but I, I happen to know I have preached in my life 411 sermons, 411 sermons, all all the, all the messages that I preach, 411. I know you're like, that is wrong that you know that I do. I, I have a database of every single one of them. It's, I, I have a problem. But anyway, but I know that in, in 411 sermons, also, this is going to be a shocker. I have never preached on giving or tithing. It's, it's like, it's just one of those things. It's always there. Mm, no, nah, we'll do that later. We'll do that. Mm. So this is going to be a first. So you guys got to just hang with me, okay? Uh, we're not going to do this all the time, but for sure, every 412 sermons, we'll come back and do this. So listen good today, because it may be a while. Um, but I really believe there's some truth that could set some people free today. Um, and I'm not trying to manipulate you today to give in more money. That, that's not my point. That's not my agenda. I want to inspire you so that when you do give, whatever it is you were going to give, that when you do give, that you, you just might do it today with a, with a fresh new attitude, a different attitude, and with, with a new excitement about what God is doing, what he is up to, and what he wants to release into your life if you'll, if you'll trust him, okay? So that's kind of what's going on. Let's pray, we'll talk to God, and then we're gonna read a, read a passage and hear God talk to us, okay? Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much. I thank you, God, that you are with us today and you are, you are lovely, you are beautiful, you're all uh, loving and patient and kind and merciful, Father. We, we depend on that mercy every single morning, Lord. And we thank you, Father, that you, you did not just put us on this earth and tell us to tough it out until the day we die, but you have, you, you've called us to be overcomers. You have called us to do amazing things for your kingdom, Father God, that you want to bless us so that we can be a blessing. And I thank you, Father God, that somebody here, just one person, I pray, at least one person will be blessed by this and it'll change their life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to start off in Matthew 6. These are the words of Jesus. He says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust 
destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. So here's the principle in this passage. The, the more you keep, the more you lose. But the more you give away, the more you get back. It, it's kind of crazy, God's system, but the more you keep, the more you lose. What you give away, you get back. The famous missionary who was martyred, uh, Jim Elliott, he said it this way, he is no fool who loses what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Anything you keep, you lose, ultimately. And anything you give away, you get back. It's the generosity principle. We could think of it as the generosity principle. The author, Randy Alcorn, says everybody ought to take at least one trip to a junkyard uh, because sooner or later, that's where all our stuff is going anyway. Oh, that's pretty brilliant. That's where it's all headed anyway. All that, that shiny new thing that you just had to have, and it's at home now, and you went to the mall, and you got it. It's going to end up in a junkyard, everything. And he's right. We have to remind ourselves of the fact every once in a while, the stuff that we hang on to so desperately is all future trash. We're wearing future trash. It's all going to the ground. We're eventually going to the ground, right? It's, Job 121 says it this way. Uh, so here we go. Job 121 says, you didn't, uh, he says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. So, so you, you, you didn't bring any material possessions into this world, right? You came into it pretty naked when you were born, and you won't take anything out of this world when you die. Uh, I've been watching this uh, fascinating show on, on Netflix. It's a, a new documentary from the History Channel on Netflix called The Men Who Made America. Anybody seen this? This is really cool. Yeah, yeah. Everybody, every time I bring this up to some, especially guys, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've been watching that. It's cool. It's, it's so interesting. It's so, it talks about some of the richest, most powerful men. And these guys are like the... the tycoons, they, they're the most powerful men in the Western Hemisphere that have ever lived, right? And so it's talking about these guys who, like, built America from the ground up. And one of them is, is the multi-billionaire John D. Rockefeller. John D. Rockefeller, famous man, and he's famous for his answer to this question. Someone asked him, how much money does it take to be happy? And his famous answer was, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. And if you see his life, you can see he lived, he lived by that just a little bit more. After he died, they say someone asked his accountant um, how much money Rockefeller left behind. And his accountant said, all of it. <laughs> right? The truth is we leave it all behind. This short moment that we're here on this earth, we grasp and we gather all we can just to leave it all behind. It's so simple. Yet so many people live like it's not true for them. It's true. It's been true for billions of people before me, but it's not true for me. I think there's this, there's a selfish streak in all of us that we just want to keep what we have. That just seems right, right? What's mine is mine. Uh, a while back, I got an email that was titled Property Law for Kids. This is pretty good. I, I, can, I can relate to this. It says, if I like it, it's mine. If I can take it away from you, it's mine. If it looks like mine, it's mine. If I saw it first, it's mine. If you're having fun with it, it's mine. If you lay it down, it's mine. If it's broken, it's yours. <laughs> right? I, yeah, I think Mason wrote this. I, he, he, he'd be like, that sounds like my mantra. Thank you. <laughs> But, but I'd say this goes for a lot of grown-ups too, right? Uh, especially when you look at the history of rich and powerful human beings and how we tend to treat each other when we have the chance. This is kind of how we treat each other. But by living by the generosity principle, it's, it, that's an approach to life that says, what's mine actually isn't all mine. It, it's a recognition that what we keep, we lose, and what we give away that's what we get back. So, um, let me tell you uh, one difference that I've noticed between successful people, you know, if you read biographies about successful people or you look at their lives, and unsuccessful people. I'll tell you a, a big difference between these people. 
And that is, unsuccessful people tend to just want to be comfortable. They worship comfort. The, the, the worship of comfort. They, they want to hear what they want to hear. And they only listen to voices that only agree with them, right? They're only listening to that AM station because they like to hear echoed right back what they already think, right? And, and stuff that'll make them feel better about the choices they've already made. That's a good recipe for unsuccess. <laughs> Successful people, if you look at their lives and you follow them around, you look at what they do and what they listen to, they like to be challenged, right? They want to be stretched. And, and the reason why I say that is because that's kind of one of my roles for you today. This, this isn't, you know, a super, like, fun shouting sermon, I know, but, but it's, I, I, I get to be your spiritual coach today. Hebrews 10, 24 puts it this way. Let us consider how we can spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Spurring one another on toward love and good deeds. That's what I want to do to you today, because I think you're successful. I think you're the kind of person who wants to be challenged, who wants to be spurred on. Spurs are those, you know, sharp things like cowboys wear uh, that they dig into the side of a horse to make them go. And, and I'm guessing horses probably don't like them. I doubt they look at the cowboy coming and go, oh, good, it's Spurs Day, right? They probably don't, but it gets the horse where it needs to go, right? Look, this is the great value of this, of what we have, of church. This is one of the values of this community because there is a time and a place for us to comfort one another. There absolutely is. And there's another time and a place for us to spur one another. That's what it's all about. We comfort one another and we spur one another, right? The people who make a real difference in your life, the people who make a real difference, they aren't the ones who only whisper to you all the time, you're perfect the way you are, right? The people who make a real difference, it's the people who also know when to dig in the spurs in our sides when we need it, right? And to get us to go where God wants us to go. That's the people that really, if, if I'm a good friend, right? Everybody here, we love everybody. We love each other. We're a big family. And all of you, you have, you have all your friends and then, and then you have that like close circle. You know what I mean? You have your close circle, everybody. Here. And if I'm a good friend with those people who are in my, my close circle, I'm gonna be there to comfort them and encourage them when they're down, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to comfort them when they're discouraged. But if I'm a good friend, I'm going to also discomfort them when it looks like they're too comfortable, right? That, that's part of being a good friend. That's the kind of friend I need in my life, someone who is willing to discomfort me a little bit every once in a while. Amen? So we're going to be that to each other. Hallelujah. Okay. To, to me, uh, a wonderful picture of what generosity is means is the word open-handed. This is a wonderful picture for us just to, to think about. Open-handed. Generosity is living life open-handed, right? Now, I'm not talking about how your wife slaps you when you said something stupid. That's something different. But it's the posture that we take with all men and women. It's the posture that we take, not grasping and clutching, but open-handed ready to give at a moment's notice. In, in Luke chapter 18, famous story of a, a rich young ruler. That's what he's called, the rich young ruler. And he goes up to Jesus and he asks him what he must do to inherit eternal life. And they talk for a while and finally Jesus says, all right, here's what you do. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. What Jesus is saying is, is look, you, man, you, you've done great. Good job. You've, you've kept the law. You've made lots of money. You've been successful at business. That is awesome. Well, turn the page to chapter 2. It's only going to get better. I've got something even, even more awesome for you. Try something, try something new now. Sell all that because you did that, right? Then they're done. Sell everything, give to the poor. Come follow me. Be a disciple. Now, if you notice... We don't ever turn to the 
second book of Rich Young Ruler, chapter 4, do we? Right? In fact, we don't know his name. He's just Rich Young Ruler. Why? He could have been been one of the 12, but he's not. In verse 23, what I find fascinating is it says, when he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. A man of great wealth. Um, As a child, back back when great lizards roamed the earth, um, there, there was a program on television that I used to watch called Wild Kingdom. Anybody remember that? Back in the 70s, early 80s maybe? Wild Kingdom, sponsored by Mutual of Omaha. Mutual, that's right, Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. It was an awesome show. This is, you know, before the days, there's no Discovery Channel, there's no Animal Planet, there's no Nat Geo. If you're into, like, nature shows, this was your chance. Once a week, you made sure, Saturday afternoon, you're watching Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom with Marlon Perkins. Um, And uh, I, I still remember this one particular episode always it stuck out to me, and I, I even went back to make sure I, I was remembering it right. And it's, th- There was this episode about monkeys in Borneo and how these guys would trap monkeys. You guys know about this story? The monkeys in, in Borneo. And th- th- these guys had a fascinating way, these trappers, to catch the monkeys. And what they would do is they would stake out, they would put a gourd, and they would hollow out a little hole in there, and they would stake it to the ground so it was stuck to the ground, and then they would shake some seeds and put some seeds inside the gourd. And the little monkeys would descend out of the jungle, and they'd come down, and they would grab the seeds inside, and, and they would put their hands in there, and when they grabbed them, they couldn't pull their hand out, right? They were grabbing these seeds. They couldn't pull their fist from the gourd because the monkey's brain is like, I got to get these seeds out, and he wouldn't let go, and, they, they would, and the trappers, they would show them. They'd be coming close with their, like, nets and bats and stuff like that, and the monkeys are going crazy. They're, like, screaming and dancing and all this stuff, and, and they're, they're, you know, they're really upset, and the hunters are coming. They're getting closer and closer, but they would not let go of the bait. They were trapped by what they held on to. They were trapped by the very thing they were holding on to. And I got to thinking, how many Americans today are, are miserable because the very thing that is making them sick inside is the thing they are convinced they can't live without. It's the very thing. It's, no, it's the American dream. I can't let that go. Even if it kills me, I can't let it go. Whether it's accumulating stuff, that's for some people, right? Or, or giving into some unhealthy habit, or like prescription drugs, or whatever it is, or working 80 hours a week, because that's just what you've got to do. And you've been told by your culture that's what you've got to do. We won't drop the bait. We don't drop the bait. So this rich young ruler, he's got it all, and he's trapped by what he held on to. He's presented with the greatest opportunity known to man to come follow Jesus, an opportunity to follow Jesus, but he can't let go. He lived life with a closed fist instead of an open hand. At, at G Church, we, we have this vision, and you hear us say it all the time here, to become a community of believers being changed by God to change the world. That's our vision. It's our heart's desire. We want to become a community of believers being changed by God to change the world. That's what we want to do. And where we got this idea, it actually goes back to the Bible. It goes all the way back to uh, Genesis 12. God says to Abraham in Genesis 12, I'm going to bless you. And then he says, and you will be a blessing. I'm going to bless you, and you'll be a blessing. It's a real simple concept. We're called to be channels of blessing, right? In other words, God's blessing, it doesn't just stop with us. We're not just, I'm blessed, I'm blessed, I'm blessed, I'm blessed right? We're channels of blessing. And, and just like we crave for God to change us so that we can help change the world and be the change, we desire for God to bless us so that we can be a blessing to other people. It, it's just kind of a normal rhythm in the kingdom of heaven, right? That's the way it works. In 2 Corinthians 9, it says, you will be made rich, or your, your Bible might say enriched. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. What a way to live. 
to be made rich in every way so you can be generous on every occasion. Why does God bless us financially? He blesses us so that we can be generous. And, and that principle is true across the board. God loves us so that we can love others. That's how, that's how we're able to love hard-to-love people. It's because God loved us, right? There's nobody harder to love than me, and I know that. So that helps me be able to love unlovable people. God shows grace to us so that we can show grace to other people. God comforts us so that we can comfort other people. 2 Corinthians 1 says, God says, the God of all comforts, he comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. You start to see a pattern? It's all through the Bible once your eyes open to this, this pattern. It's over and over and over. This rhythm that we see in the kingdom of God is behind God's whole relationship with you. And that's why it's so important for you and I to be generous. But for it to work, for this system to work, you got to let go of the bait. You got to let go of the bait. Generosity, it, it actually has nothing to do with how much money you have. It's not about that. It's easy for us to think if I had more money, I'd be more generous. Right? Admit it. We've all thought that. <coughs> if I had a little more money, I'd, I'd, I'd give something. I'd give a little something. I would argue that the more money you have, the tougher it is to give. Right? Well, if I had more money, I'd be more generous. Look, the, the story of the rich run, young ruler kind of proves that that is, pardon my language, Oh. Right? It's not true. Uh, in, in science, they got this, there's this law of physics uh, called, uh, it has to do with, with gravity. It says that basically, in, in a few words, it says that the greater the mass of something, the greater the hold that that mass exerts on something else. It's why the earth is holding on to you stronger than it, the moon would hold on to you, right? You weigh more here because the earth is pulling on you. Uh, it's got more mass. The earth is bigger than the moon. And so the earth pulls on you. I think this, this same law applies the same way to wealth. I think we could, we could call this financial gravitation, the law of financial gravitation. The greater the mass of your wealth, the greater the hold that that wealth is going to have on you. In other words... If you aren't giving when you have a little money, it, it'll be even tougher for you to give when you have a little more money. That's, it, it's just a, a universal spiritual law, right? Because the greater the mass of money you have, the greater hold it exerts on you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is talking about some amazing Christians. These guys had, had been enduring so much, and listen to the way he describes them. He says, out of the most severe trial, these guys, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the servant to the saint, in service to the saints. There's two phrases in here in this passage that jump out at me. One, it says they gave beyond their ability. Beyond their ability. See, generosity isn't just giving what you got. It's giving beyond your ability. If you're not generous when it's difficult, you're not going to be generous when it's easy. And, and the juxtaposition in this scripture is, it's amazing. Look at the, the phrases that are right next to each other. Severe trial, overwhelming joy, extreme poverty, rich generosity. Sounds like he's talking about two different groups of people, right? These are the same people. You know what I love about being a part of this community? Well, one of the defining moments, and, and you witnessed it this morning, one of the defining moments of, of Generations Church and the history of our church was when our pastor, our founding pastor, Albert Hale, he decided before God that this was going to be a unique church. There's, this is going to be different. 
in that it would see itself as a missions church. That we would take advantage of this really unique time in history that God has placed us. You, you realize you live in a, it, 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 the, the whole history of the human race would find this so bizarre. That we live in one of the most affluent ages of the earth, and we live in one of the most affluent areas of the planet. Right? So he's placed us in a really unique place, a really time and place here. And, and, and our pastor determined that we were not going to waste that opportunity. We're here for a reason. We're not going to waste that. We're going to leverage that to become a supporter of world missions. Right? We must be here for a reason. So he said, let's, let's leverage that to be a supporter of world missions. We're going to get blessed to be a blessing. That's just what we're going to do. That is going to, it's like in the bylaws, right? That's what we're going to do. That is God is changing us into the image of Christ. We're going to be the change to the world. We're going to help change the world. And we've kept that ever since. We have always invested in missions. From the beginning, this church has invested. This church even tithes toward outside missions, right? You know, we should tithe. This church tithes. Did you know that? We tithe outside. And even the beginning, in the very beginning, when there was like, you know, 20 people or, or something, you know, who came, who came to the service or something like that, and, and maybe the offering was just barely enough to pay for the, the high school auditorium, and, you know, even then, tithe. The tithe went into the kingdom of God, and God has been faithful to us ever since. There's a reason why God is so faithful to us. Today, this church, this humble group of a couple hundred people, we build churches all over the world. You build churches. That's not... That's not possible, but it happens. It keeps happening. You cannot be doing this, but you're doing this. It's not possible, but it's happening. You support orphans and preachers and missionaries all over the world, right? And, and get this, this church has zero debt. Okay, that doesn't happen, right? That doesn't happen. You're building churches all over the world. You're supporting orphans and missionaries and preachers and, and our own community. You're helping out our community. And you have zero debt? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Now, there's a couple reasons for that. Number one, your, your, your pastor's a very savvy business mind, right? He takes good care of God's money. Hallelujah. But the other thing, the other reason is because he made a decision. We are going to be extravagant to the things that are all about God's heart, right? We're going to spend ridiculously towards the things that are on God's heart, and that's the church you go to. Generosity, it's giving beyond your ability. It's giving beyond your ability, and generosity is, is seeing giving as a privilege. That's the other phrase. Look at this. The other phrase that jumps out of me in this passage, they urgently pleaded for the privilege of giving. See, these are people just like you and me, but they aren't trapped like a monkey by their poverty, and they're not deceived into grasping at something stupid to make them happy. That's not what they're about. They're not holding on to the bait that their culture tell, you know, was telling them, you need to grasp all you can. They know that their wealth and their happiness lies in what they can give away. They, they understood that really plainly. Hallelujah. So the truth is, the truth is giving, it's, it's really not a money issue. It's really not about money. Giving is a heart issue. Look again at Matthew 6. We read this passage earlier, but the next verse, in verse 21, I love this. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This speaks volumes. This is so brilliant. This is so brilliant. Uh, God is saying that wherever you put your money, your heart is going to follow. Your heart is going to follow. This is brilliant stuff. See, so in other words, you don't, you don't feel your way into acting, acting out. You, you, you act your way into feeling. Just because a feeling isn't there doesn't mean you shouldn't do what's right. Sometimes you got to act your way into feeling it right? You got to, you got to invest. 
and then your heart will follow. I, I have found in, in my life that most uh, habits start out as disciplines, and then they turn into delights. The habits that take hold, right, that, that I'm able to get to take hold, they start out as disciplines, but somewhere along the way, they turn into a delight. And in other words, you got to, you know, you might start exercising, or you might start praying because you know you need to, you know, you got to do it, but at some point, you no longer do it just because you need to, but because you want to. The discipline becomes delight. If you want, and, and if something happens along the way and you get out of the habit, you kind of got to start the process all over again. It starts over again. Spiritual, spiritual growth is about going from disciplines to delights, from the need to to the want to. And that applies to our giving. So one of the principles in Matthew 6 that Jesus tells us is that your heart follows your investments. Your heart is going where your treasure is. If you want today, if you want a heart for missions, like I, 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 wish I, I wish that did it for me. I wish I had a heart for missions. Let me tell you how to get one. Invest some money in missions. It's an amazing thing. It's so true, right? When you put your money into missions, your heart will follow because where your treasure is, there your heart's going to be also. It's just a fact. If your money isn't in it, your heart won't be in it, right? If you want to know how I'm doing spiritually, all you got to do is look in two places. It's really easy. My calendar and my checking account. How I spend my time, how I spend my money. That's a huge barometer of where I am spiritually, my spiritual condition. How I spend time, how I spend money, it's, it's amazing how that reveals the condition of the heart because it's all about vested interest, what you vested into, right? You know, how, how many of you have like an IRA or some kind of retirement account? You know, you're looking forward to retire. You know, you're putting a little something aside. You're putting something in the savings. You, you, you care about the stocks that you have a vested interest in. Now, if you divest yourself of, of that stock, you no longer care about it. You don't check the quote every day, right? You care about the people that you've invested in, the people that you've put the most into. One of the best pieces of advice I could give somebody who was having a problem with another person is this, start praying for them. Start praying for that person because you get vested in their life. You get vested in their life. And when you pray for somebody, you have a vested interest in them. You develop a heart for that person. At the end of the day, when everything is said and done, when there's some stone in the ground with your name chiseled into it and two years on it, that what's going to matter the most is where you invested your treasure. Did you invest it in the world or did you invest it in the kingdom? That's going to matter the most. Did, that's what stewardship is all about. How did you invest your time, your energy, your talent, your money, the, the measure of your success is not going to be measured in how much money you make. The measure of your success is how much you gave away. Winston Church, Churchill said, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. Let go of the bait. Let go of the bait. It's an illusion, and it's a lie. The bait is a lie. Now, let's look at a couple more scriptures, and then we'll, we'll lay on the plane here. Um, in Luke 6.38, says this, given it will be given unto you, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. Right? So there's this principle of measure going on here. You can't outgive God. No matter how much you give away, you'll, you're always going to get more back. But, but here's the snag. When, when he blesses you, when that day comes and he blesses you, resist the temptation to grasp it like a monkey. Just keep being a blessing, right? Keep letting it go. Keep being a blessing. Matthew uh, 19, 29, Jesus said, Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. A hundred times. In, in financial speak, that's, that's a 10,000% return. 10,000% return. We're called to make these these temporary sacrifices, but to, to be really honest, I, I, I even have a hard time, you know, using the word sacrifice when it comes to following Christ, because whatever we give up, we get so much more back. 
he gives us so much more back. We, have we really sacrificed anything, right? When, when everything's said and done, you may give up some kind of a temporal sacrifice, but did you really give up anything? Because you're going to get, you know, 10,000% more than you gave up. Now, we have to say this. That doesn't mean that we give to get. We don't give to get. In fact, the Bible says if, if you do the right thing for the wrong reason, it doesn't count, right? That's why, you know, so, some of the parts of sort of the prosperity message of the 80s and 90s and all that kind of stuff just kind of rub a little wrong there because I think we, we often can easily get into this give to get sort of thing. And the Bible doesn't say that anywhere. In Proverbs 16, it says motives are weighed by the Lord. So why you do what you do that's what counts. James 4.3 says, When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. So God's not going to honor false motives. We don't give to get. But, but when we give with the right motive, when we give, when, when, when we, we want to be a blessing, right? And we, we, we can do it. We can know that God's going to bless us. But when we give to be a blessing, we don't, when we, we, we give with the right motive, we always get back more than we gave up. Jesus said, with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. Proverbs eleven twenty five says it this way, a generous man will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. A generous man will prosper, and whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. What comes first? The generous, the generosity, and then, and then the prosperity, right? And the refreshing others, and then we're refreshed. The way we, we help others or help ourselves is, is by helping others. One of the fundamental mistakes humankind makes, and we, we've made it since the beginning of time, is thinking that somehow getting is going to fill that hole in our soul, that getting more. And so we get more and more stuff. We get it and we feel emptier and emptier. You don't fill the hole by getting. You fill the hole by giving. The more you give away, the fuller your heart feels. It's, it's, it's a supernatural reward. And this reward is a major part of what Jesus talked about. You know, he talked about money more than like any other single subject. Jesus talked a lot about money. And in Matthew 16, he says this, he will reward each according to his works. So there is a reward tied to our works. Revelations. He says, Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. What he's done. God's going to make sure that everything you do right gets rewarded. Nothing escapes his notice. He loves catching you doing things right. That's his character. That's his nature. He loves catching you doing things right. Philippians 4.17, Paul said to the Philippians, not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. What Paul's telling us right here is that all of us have, we have this kind of like heavenly account that's being kept. And it gets credited with whatever we give. That account gets credited. You don't, you don't give a dime or a cup of cold water to somebody that God doesn't credit your account. In other words, so when we give away money, we're sending something ahead is what we're really doing. We're storing up treasure in heaven. I, I tell you, I've, I've witnessed it so much in my own life when Melissa and I have been faithful to what God calls us to give. He never leaves us hanging out to dry. Never. He's never done it. He always comes through, and he always seems to bless us in a way that we didn't deserve. He always gives us favor in a way that we, have, we haven't earned. He just does that. And when you give beyond your ability, God's going to bless you beyond your ability. Again, God's not a slot machine, okay? Um, so we, we don't give to get. We gave because we believed it was the right thing to do. And whether, you know, whether we receive anything in return or not, but, but there is this universal, unbreakable law at work in God's universe that you always give back. You always get back more than you give. You always do. But you got to drop the bait. Amen? Now, today, for, for, for some of us here, one way that we can put this message into practice and really 
open up the windows of heaven and allow God to start blessing us so that we can be a blessing and changing us so that we can change the world. One way we can do that for some of you is to begin tithing. Now, there's a big difference between tithing and, and offerings. And today, I don't have the time to get all into it and everything like that. But, but tithing is giving 10% of your income back to God. It's returning it to God because it belongs to Him. It's giving the tenth. That's what tithe means. It's a tenth. There's, there's no such thing as a 5% tithe or an 8% tithe, right? It's a tenth. That's what tithe means. It's like a Hebrew-Greek thing, tithe tenth. Uh, it, you know, it's not 12%. It's 10. That's the tithe. So tithing is the tenth, and tithing is a trust issue. It's, it's not really a money issue. You're, you're returning to him a tenth because you trust him 100%. I'm going to return 10% because I trust you 100%. The Lord even invites us to experiment. He tells us in Malachi 3, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. That's, this is the equivalent of the storehouse. That there may be food in my house test me in this and see if I don't open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Malachi 3, this reveals the heart of God. God wants to bless you beyond your ability to contain it. But Malachi 3 is also a challenge. It's a test. Tithing is a test. Do you believe that God can do more in your life with 90% than you can with 100%? I know it's true right? Are you going to worship money or are you going to worship God? Because God doesn't bless disobedience, right? That, that's, that's the hard truth part here, right? That's the spurs in you. He doesn't bless disobedience. Well, when we step out in financial faith and, and we tithe, he says he'll open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing. And he loves doing this because God is a rewarder. It's just his nature. He wants to bless you beyond your ability to contain it. He's a giver. That's like what he does. He doesn't do anything but give. That's what his nature is. He wants to give. That's the heart of the Father. But we've got to bring the tithe into the storehouse. That's the condition. Now, like I said, I don't have time to go all into the, in the depth on the tithe uh, and why every single one of us as Christ followers, we, we should have this rhythm of the tithe in our life. Um, but it, someday I'll, I'll, I'll teach on it because it's really good, and we'll, we'll look at some of the objections to tithing and why you're wrong, and we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, uh, but we'll, but uh, I'm not going to tell you when we're going to talk about it because you'll go on vacation that weekend. <laughs> we're going to talk about love this week. Ha-ha! <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So, so, okay, we'll bring this to you. To a landing here. I, I read this amazing statistic this week. I just read this, that in 1919, uh, a $40 share of Coca-Cola, if you had bought it, in 1919, one share, a 40, $40 share of Coke, by virtue of stock splits and dividend reinvestments and all that good stuff, today is worth $10 million. $10 million. Don't you wish your great-grandfather just bought you one little share, <laughs> right? It splits over time, and it, keeps the, it gets reinvested. Yeah, $10 million. In, in the world of investing, um, getting in on the ground level, it, it can pay off big dividends. As, as followers of Christ, we need to have a shareholder's mentality, a mindset when it comes to the kingdom of God. We need to look for the greatest ROI, the greatest return on investment. In Luke chapter 8, it reveals these are some of the first shareholders in the kingdom of God. Listen to this. It says Jesus was traveling from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news. The 12 were with him. That's the disciples. And also, and also, women. Mary Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Isn't that awesome? Jesus' ministry, supported by these women. And these women, they were the first shareholders in Jesus' ministry. That's better than buying Coke at 40, right? They were there in the, the IPO, man, the very first. I have a feeling that they did not regret a dime that they invested into the kingdom. I have a feeling that they did it with excitement. They knew what it was going to turn into. So, 
in closing, let me, let me offer you one little caveat, and that is don't fall into the win-then trap. When I make more money, when I'm financially independent, when I get that bonus, when I get married, when I get out of debt, then I'll tithe, or then I'll give. You won't. I'm just telling you, you won't. Remember that law of physics. The greater the mass, the greater the hold the mass exerts. And if you aren't giving when you have a little money, it'll be even tougher when you have a little more. Because <laughs> the greater the mass of that money, the greater hold it exerts on you. We're, we're bringing this series to a close today, and my prayer for you is that you will go back and keep the things that we've talked about in front of you over the last six weeks. Keep them stirred in your heart. We talked about some things that'll change your life. Don't let them go by and just think, oh, those were neat words, or he told a joke, or that was pretty good. Let it change you. Do something different this year. Revolution's not going to happen by accident, okay? If, if y'all are listening to me, listen to this. Don't look at anybody walking around. Listen to this. Revolution is not going to happen to you. We have to do something. If we want this year to be different, we have to do something. There's some baggage that we have to drop. We gotta let some stuff go. We gotta make the choice to overthrow some dictators in our life if we want revolution. Shake off some chains, learn to travel light, leave the baggage behind, and take a chance on God. Take a chance on him. Let go of the bait that this culture has told you that you, you have to hang on to. Be open-handed. And watch yourself be free in Jesus' name. Amen. As we promised, we're going to give you a chance to worship God with your tithes and your offerings. The ushers are coming now. If you need an envelope for your giving, raise your hand, and they'll get one to you right here. Um, and while you're preparing to give, the worship team's up here. They're just going to lead us in some awesome worship. After about a minute or so, the ushers will come forward and receive your tithe and offering. Amen. All right, let's worship God. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ, we believe in the Holy Spirit, 
Something is different in our lives today, Lord God. We're going to be more useful for you, Lord God. You're going to move through our life more today. We thank you so much, God, for your goodness and your mercy and that is new every single morning. Praise you, Father God. Hallelujah. Just a little uh, praise report. The motorbike offering total, $2,779. All right. <laughs> Yo. Hallelujah. Awesome. Amen. That'll, that'll, if you didn't hear him, he said, that'll help us be able to buy insurance for the bikes and anything else. We're going to buy some more bikes for these. Hallelujah. Put some more. Hallelujah. Awesome. Praise the Lord. You guys, you guys are unreal. Y'all are awesome. Hallelujah. God is good, isn't he? He's so good. I'm so excited about what God is doing through you guys, through all of us, what we're getting to do together, the change that we're getting to make in our community, the change that we're getting to make around the world. It's a special thing. Don't take it for granted. Thank him every day that you get to play a part of it. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. 